worth anything Wondering if you ever could be loved And if they truly saw your heart They'd see too much You're beautiful Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. If you'd like to join us as we worship, feel free. there in the newborn crowd. 
Father, thank you for everything you've provided that we can come here and hear from your word and hear and be with your people. Uh, help us to be a people responsive to the things that we hear, that faith might be created, cultivated, and grown within our hearts. Help us according to your steadfast love and compassion. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to First Christian Church. We're so glad you could be here with us this Sunday. Today is the last day to register for the June 13th Akron Zoo Adventure. The tickets are good from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., so plan to head up right after service. Everyone's welcome, and we have 100 free tickets that are available on a first-come, first-served basis. So be sure to register online, or you can sign up on the sheet inside the foyer or outside of the worship center. Just a quick reminder that tomorrow the church office will be closed due to Memorial Day. The property committee will be meeting on Monday, June 7th at 6 p.m. in room 201. If you're interested in joining this committee, please be sure to attend this meeting. We would love to celebrate our college and high school 2021 graduates. Please contact the church office for more details. That's all the announcements for today. Thanks for joining us. Just one more announcement. Um, so as you've heard, <clears throat> the state of Ohio and the CDC changing guidelines. So next Sunday will be our first Sunday since that change. So we just wanted to bring you up to date of where we're at. Um, so keeping in, guide, in connection with that, um, obviously mask and distancing um, have been lifted. We'll lift the ropes off the pews here so the seating will be open. If you choose to not wear a mask, um, that'll be fine. We will continue to distribute the communion through the prepackaged communion. You can pick it up on your way in um, until September 5th. And the same with the bulletins. Um, we will continue that through the summer. So if you have any questions, please reach out. Contact me, the office, and we'll get back to you. <laughs> okay, for real, the last announcement this morning. Um, as Macy mentioned, we will be going to the Akron Zoo on June 13th, um, and we would love for everybody to come. This isn't just for families or families with children or anything like that. So if you want to come as an adult and just enjoy the animals and the day and the fellowship, we would love that. Um, today is the last day to register, though, so... We need to know if you plan to come, how many tickets you want. There is a sign-up sheet located on the table um, as you exit to the right of the worship center, as well as all the digital platforms you can register that way. Once you're at the zoo, one of the cool things we were able to do is we were able to rent the Savannah Pavilion. Um, so this will give you a place that you can go if it's hot and sit in some shade, um, eat your lunch, just hang out. I think Matt plans to have um, a scavenger hunt as well as some prizes um, that will all be available there. So we hope you will register. If you have any questions, um, just contact me. I won't be in the office tomorrow, but you can always leave a voicemail and I'll get back to you on Tuesday. So, all right, thank you. Kids, you guys can go to uh, the kids ministry. Stand with us one more time.
Sing. 
right, go ahead and have a seat, everybody. It's so wonderful to see you guys and see you without the faces of apprehension uh, because now I can actually see many of most of your faces today, and next week I'll probably see them all, which is nice. There's a confidence, I think, that we have now that we didn't have a year ago, and I think that's just awesome to live in a different place uh, in relation to our worship gatherings. Uh, so before uh, uh, I go any further, I just want to uh, welcome you guys to um, this worship gathering, either here or online, and hope everybody, uh, uh, as we gather, uh, will be able to experience uh, the, the presence of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, perhaps the touch of the Lord, and whatever way that, that you need um, His uh, hand upon your life. Um, just... Uh, uh, just just a, a, a reminder, if uh, there are any pastoral prayer concerns or needs that uh, you have, we want to help you out with them. And uh, you can contact the office or me or write in a notebook on the back uh, any prayer concerns that you have, and we'd love to pray for, for those matters. Uh, because everything that we do, we want to preface with, with prayer. Uh, so as we begin, let's just do that very thing. Would you bow with me? Our Lord Jesus, uh, we are grateful for the communion that we have with you, knowing that uh, as we live uh, in, in this space where uh, we um, uh, think about life in terms of the visible, and we gather in this room and we consider it through the invisible yet uh, clearly tangible ways that you are manifest in our lives, in the world, uh, it is through those eyes of faith, Lord, that we trust you and we carry on with a sense of hope and a sense of joy despite whatever circumstances that we may find ourselves in. And Father, as we gather, I know that even with the eyes of faith, there are moments that we doubt. And I just pray that if there is an element of doubt within our hearts as we've gone through uh, a pandemic experience, uh, that you would recapture within us that confidence that uh, we need to renew in your son, uh, that the vision for uh, him and our lives would be even more clear. And, and so, Father, we just want to give this time to you, our hearts to you, and our intentions. And we want to calibrate our spirits with yours. Uh, so uh, help us as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, as we gather today, we are going through the book of Luke, and I hope that um, it's been as interesting for you guys as it has been for myself, and I, I know Rich, as he has been uh, engaging with a, a teaching part of this, uh, the same passage of Scripture that we are looking at each Sunday. And as we do, I think God is just showing us a lot of things that um, spoke to the people in the days of Luke's writing but in very similar fashion because of the political climate and all the things that were happening in that day that correspond very well with the things that we're going through now. Um, it's, been, it's been kind of uncanny for me to look at 
these verses and say, wow, that really speaks to the moment. And I hope today is no exception. I mentioned how as we've gone through a pandemic experience and we're starting to be freed up, um, and maybe there's a spirit of gratitude in the air, um, not only for being able to walk confidently into restaurants and into places of business, into churches, and to be around people and not have fear, um, but also recognizing that as um, we do so, God has been working in our lives to hopefully pull us closer in trust and faith. But I would say that even though we've been ravaged by a pandemic um, in the physical realm, the biological realm, it's also had its impact on our lives emotionally and, and psychologically, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of hostility, uh, I would say even a lot of doubt. And as, as we take those elements that really put us in a state of, 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 of not really good health, um, we know that God has a response even to that level of the pandemic that we need to trust. And if you're a believer and you are experiencing anxiety or anger or doubt, don't feel like you're alone because many of us have gone through that very range of emotions and even more. And one of the things that I feel like believers sometimes beat themselves up with is when they consider, yeah, I'm starting to doubt in my faith. I'm starting to doubt in my trust in God. And I want you to know that you're not alone because our whole way of life is premised by a confidence in the unseen, the reality that is God that is not readily visible with the five senses, but is, is, is connected to through spiritual realities that become very tangible. And in a minute, I'll, I'll describe what that means. But let me just see how, let me just show you how things are in contrast. You know, when, when, I, when I was on campus in St. Louis with uh, uh, working on my, my undergrad degree, uh, there was a girl who came on campus. Her name was Amanda Baker. And when I saw her, she had kind of flowing auburn hair, and, and it, was, uh, it was very unique. It was long, and it was attractive, and I was interested. And somewhere along the way, I, I got down on my knee, and I asked her to marry me, figuratively speaking, of course, because uh, um, it just, never mind. She'll give you the details, because, but in effect, it was, um, I would love to have your hand in marriage. Fast forward a couple of years later, and um, I'm, I'm down, you know, on my knees, and I'm saying, how in the world does this drain get so clogged up every year? And, you know, I got the pipes all apart, and they don't smell very well, and when I pull stuff out, it's that long hair that I was so attracted to now in the drain. And I find myself every year in this ritual of getting down on my knees and cleaning the drain. Well, I, I don't want to bring to light the bathroom wars that are going on in our house right now, but uh, there's two guys who are shaving and messing with their beards and grooming all the time on the, at the sink. So in fairness to her, I think she wanted to make a point about the fact that she's not the only one that brings a, a, a downside to the equation. And so 
she had me take out the stopper so that things would flow freely, but she said, you know, we need to put just a little, drop a little screen in there. So we did, and guess who gets lectured a lot about beard hair getting in that screen? Pretty much once a week. Who didn't clean that screen out? And I know it's just retaliation for the comments that I've made over the years for having hair in the drain that I have to clean out on a pretty annual basis, could almost set my calendar by it. And that's really how life is, isn't it? Where you have so many things that are so good and so hopeful and so enjoyable, and then you have the, the mundane elements that make it challenging. And one of those things that appears periodically, even for the best of us, is that opposite thing of, of faith, doubt. And I want to explore with you today a text of Scripture that does highlight that in two different ways. And so if you have your Bibles with you, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 7. And we're going to be exploring verses 18 through 35. So just bear with me as, as I read these words. Um, Luke tells us, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, and by all these things... Uh, we, Luke meant the healing of the centurion that we, centurion servant that we, we mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, the raising of the of the uh, of the widow's son, and then all of the stories about healings and compassion and uh, deliverances that uh, just populate the, the the news reports about who Jesus is. So the disciples of John. Do you remember John? He was the one who baptized Jesus. He was the one whose birth corresponded with Jesus. He was the one who, whose mom and Jesus' mom met together before uh, the children were even born and talked about uh, all the things that God had been doing in their lives and in their bodies and in, then in, in, in the hope that they had for how this was going to change everything. That John. So the disciples of John reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And that really is a loaded question, because you kind of scratch your head reading it, don't you, thinking, why of all things is John asking, are you the one when there were so many ways that they tracked together up until probably maybe a, a year or two before, it seems like they were going in different directions. And as they did, well, you know how it is. The other thing about marriage that, that, that I've discovered is you don't just communicate. You communicate, 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 communicate a lot. It's critical. It's essential. And uh, it took me a while to figure that out. But once I did, I realized that's what keeps it healthy. But there was sort of a, a, a kind of a separation that was happening between these two and the work that they were, they were called to do. And it was creating some doubts, quite possibly, uh, on, in the mind and the heart of John. Because he's wondering, okay, I think I know what's going on and who the Messiah is and what to expect, but I just need to know. I need to have validation. And when 
And, the when, and when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed, bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So that's quite a resume of behaviors that Jesus has, 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 has basically laid out for them to talk about, and quite a, quite a list of things, for that matter, that they were able to see right there and then. So when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I sent my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then Luke writes, inserts, when all the people heard this and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees, and when I say but, but the Pharisees and the lawyers doubted, rejected the purposes of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. And then we conclude uh, with, with just a few more verses. To what shall I say compared to the people of this generation? What are they like? They are like the children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Now, I know that was a pretty lengthy chunk of Scripture, but I want to look at two characters within, two sets of characters within this group. And the first one is John the Baptist, and what he was wrestling with regarding who Jesus was and what his role was in that, in that moment. The other one... The other one is the Pharisees and their attitudes. So let's just explore this for a minute regarding the doubts that, um, that are surfacing in this text. And the first thing I want to tell you is John had, I think, legitimate reason to sort, sort of second-guess things. Because if you stop and consider what historians are saying about where John is at when these uh, words are being spoken, and we certainly can just refer to the story in Matthew, it says he's in prison. But where is he at in prison? 
I just want to show you the place where John, who is such an enemy of the state, was considered a high-risk uh, potential fugitive. If you look on the map for a second, all that stuff that you see in yellow with the dotted lines and stuff, uh, that's an area where Jesus spent um, some time in ministry all the way up to where um, you see it uh, uh, in the north by the Sea of Galilee. And on the other side is the Jordan, which is the other side of, of where the people of God are, are, are dwelling. And John's out there, and it's in that desert, disconnected from everything that's happening, on this hill that was a palace uh, two generations before, but is now a prison. John is up there at the top of that hill in that fortress, incarcerated. And there seems to be a lot of political stuff in the air right now with John and Herod because he called him out for, well, for marrying somebody that he shouldn't have been marrying, and he violated, as a Jewish person, the law. And Herod didn't like John interfering with his personal life, and he said, because you've offended me, I'm going to put you on that mountain and shut you up. And that's where John was. And John is thinking, in the purposes of God and everything that I'm called to do, here I am. But you get a sense that that didn't bother him as much as the fact that he was uncertain, being disconnected from things for a while, about all the reports and all the activity and all the gossip that was happening about Jesus that, well, he needed some clarity. And I think a lot of times we have a lot of ideas floating around in the world about who God is and what he's up to and whether or not he's with us in the pandemic. And we have questions and we have doubts and we have worries and we have anxieties. It's pretty normal, isn't it, when the communication starts to break down. And so we come back to church and we hope that we can hear a message from the Lord. We hope that we can hear something from Scripture that as it's proclaimed or as it's taught is very much in harmony with the intent behind the thing that you're reading and hearing about. And so we try to be faithful in, 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 in presenting to you the message that we feel like God is enabling us to share so that you can go from doubt to confidence. Because doubt really is, I think, essential in the process but so is the confident faith that we, we, we want to maintain. And I would say doubt isn't a bad thing. It's actually something that, um, uh, that leads us to faith. If you look at a, at a continuum, for example, our lives at times are skeptical and doubtful, especially under certain conditions when people or circumstances... Um, cause us to really question God, we can be in that doubt zone. But if I had a good graphics program, I probably would have put arrows saying, doubt has a way of leading you to faith. It, 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 it's, it's, it's a period where you're asking the question simply because you do not know you're asking the question, where is God? And what is God up to? And how can I know for sure? And I think 
the underlying question behind doubt being, I don't know, that's actually not a bad place to be. Because if you don't know something, that's a, that's a real admission. And, and sometimes our pride doesn't want us to say to other people, I don't know. You remember happy days when Fonzie used to say, I was wrong. You guys were like, who's Fonzie? Um, I just remember him saying I, he couldn't say the word wrong. And I think for Christians, sometimes it's, I, I have doubts. And it's like we can't get the word out. And, it's, and underneath that is this sense that I don't know. And I'll be the first to tell you, I don't like that phrase. Yesterday, I was uh, helping my daughter. Uh, we were getting, getting supper ready, and we have this box of kosher salt uh, that we use for cooking. And, and she looked at it, and she said, well, what's kosher salt? And I'm thinking, I kind of have an idea, but it's a religious thing. It's a Jewish thing, and I'm a pastor. I should know. So I said, well, you know, it's, a, it's special food that's being blessed for Jewish people. And she's skeptical, looking at me like, hmm, I don't know. And I, so then I'm like, obviously, I need to ramp up my confidence here. So I just said very boldly and very confidently, I just pulled kind of a Hebrew word out of the air, and I just said, it's, uh, it's for halal. It's an important thing that they do that helps them eat better. And she's just looking at me like, you don't know, do you? And I really didn't want to go there. And then she said after that, if you don't know, how can I trust you? And then I'm like, oh, great, this thing's escalating fast. Well, then, of course, her mom comes in and says, well, it's what rabbis do when they bless the food in the factory so that the Jewish people can eat it properly. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I was saying. And she looks at me rather dubiously like, I don't trust you anymore. And I just said, I don't know what to say other than I think your doubts are misplaced and I'm a very trustworthy human being. And then she's like, I don't even trust you even more now. So you, you see how that goes. Uh, once you have questioning, all of a sudden you're testing, aren't you, to see whether or not you have credibility or not. And I think that's what doubt does. It tests the credibility of God. God, are you credible? Are you somebody that I can trust especially when the stakes are so high. And I know John was wrestling with that question. I believe, but I have some questions. Because I have been disconnected. I don't know. I don't know for sure. I am isolated on this mountaintop for an undetermined amount of time, and I really, I need clarity. And when I thought about John on that mountain, I did think about this past year and how days you would come in here and there wouldn't hardly be anybody gathering. Or I thought about those days when we were just meeting on TV because all of us were isolated and disconnected. And I had huge fears that the vision and the confident faith that each of you had was dwindling to a place where doubts were beginning to erode 
your, your understanding of who Jesus was and what it, what it meant. And I'm, I'm so gratified, to be honest with you, to come back having some sleepless nights wondering if a lot of people are going to fall away. I, I'm so gratified to see that your faith withstood the test, the season of isolation, that God is good no matter what. And I want to explore doubt for just a second because if we want to work through our doubt, we have to have a posture of giving God the benefit of the doubt. And I believe John was. When he sent his deputies out to interview Jesus and perhaps witnesses to find out who exactly this person was, I know they were giving him the benefit of the doubt. They were actually just looking for reasons to lose confidence, to lose trust. And they couldn't find him. And Jesus actually began to pour it on after they came. But as you look at giving God the benefit of the doubt, you may be wondering, well, what does that look like? And let me just define it for you real quickly. If you were to give somebody the benefit of the doubt, it just means the state of accepting something or someone as honest or deserving of trust even though there are doubts. Now, I would like to hope that my daughter doesn't, at a fundamental level, say, Dad, I can no longer trust you for anything. She just knows that, well, we do goofy things around the house like that all the time and make up stories. But when it is an actual, real-world, down-in-the-trenches moment, we're going we're gonna to shoot straight with her and with each other. And even though you have those doubts, you have confidence that your trust in Jesus is stable. So how do we trust the character of God? We trust Jesus. We start with him. We begin with Jesus. And if there was one name, I think, that has probably been in the back of your minds this whole time, it's not so much been an idea or principle or how do I get through this. I have to believe that a lot of you just said, Lord Jesus, help us, help me, help us to be safe. Help those that we know who are suffering with COVID to be healed. And we begin, we begin with the confidence that says, he is able. And the scripture backs this up really well because there's just a couple I want to highlight quickly. Uh, and they're found in the book of John. And, 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 and the scriptures read this way. So the word of God became one of us, human. And he made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son, and when John is writing these words, he's writing a lot, even later than Luke, a lot of people believe. So all of the acts that were described in, in the scripture we read earlier, that's the glory of God shining through very broken situations. 
And then John writes as well, no one has ever seen God but the unique one who he himself um, was God is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. And John is just right out the gate testifying to the fact that if you ever wanted to see God, look no farther than Jesus. Even as you read the Old Testament, you, you may be like, well, that, that God is different than Jesus. And some people came to that conclusion. fact of the matter is that God is no different. It's just simply how he dealt with circumstances that were just very out of whack. And as you and I are kind of doing the same thing, we have to trust in the character of God. And in the Old Testament, some people did, like Abraham. Paul writes, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. What did he believe in? The very character of the God that was calling him to a land that he would show him. And Abraham responded because in his case, he didn't begin with Jesus, but he, get, he began with the promise of Jesus. And the promises in the Old Testament are embedded with the person of Jesus, and that's all they had. And yet we're on the other side of that, and we have so much more when it comes to the testimony about Jesus and the life of Jesus and the fact that for 21 centuries, people have been talking about Jesus and worshiping Jesus. I mean, that's some real staying power if you think about it. And even given the fact that you're here today tells me that there is something powerful about the name of Jesus that takes our doubt and turns it into a confidence of faith. But here's the prerequisite. You have to be humble. Now, John could have said, tell Jesus the plan is not working out the way that I think it should have, beginning with the fact that I'm in prison. And tell him that his preaching style, from what I hear, is not the same as my preaching style, and I'm confused. You don't hear any of that from John. Because John was humble before God. But what does that mean, being humble before God? It basically means that he's putting God first and himself second. He even said that. I must decrease and Jesus must increase when he was baptized. And I, I think sometimes we need to revisit that and put our name in there. Leonard must decrease so that Jesus can increase. Except at home when I'm trying to, you know, throw my weight around. But just kidding. Um, but it does lead back to the fact of the three places where doubts come from. And let's just start with people. Now, Jesus had created enough activity that corresponded with his message that a lot of people said, um, we buy in. We are good. And for those people, maybe some of them started to go to church. And the problem was for the church then, as it is now, 
All you have to do is read the book of books of First and Second Corinthians. You'll find out that, yeah, the church wasn't working so well, even though the story of Jesus is so fresh. Man, you read the book of First and Second Corinthians, and you're like, those guys never converted. Uh, but you know what I discovered? Christians can be pretty messy people. We can be inconsistent. We can be hypocritical. Uh, you know, when I was in high school and I was at a critical moment where I was thinking about following the Lord, I only had one person in my world that was, that was a Christian at the time that I, I really spent any time with, and that was a coworker who happened to go to church on Sunday, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And so he was always messing up the schedule. And then when you worked with him, he, quite honestly, I can say this and not, and not, and not be speaking out of turn, he was lazy. He was always trying to get everybody else to do the work, and he was just sitting around reading books and the Bible and stuff. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't care about your Bible. I just want you to share the load. We're all paid the same to do the same job. You need to do the job. And what it did was it actually created a taste in my mind of what Christians are like, people who follow Jesus. And to be honest with you, at that moment, I just put the whole thing on pause. I just said not interested. A few years later, because Jesus said, even though you're not interested in his version, I'm interested in you, and I'm not letting up. And I'm so thankful for that, because I know I'm not alone. And the proof isn't in the lives of the believers, though we should reinforce that message. The proof is in the life of Jesus. And so that does lead us to the, the, the proof aspect of this whole thing. Because a lot of us will say, give me proof. Did you know that there is more written about Jesus and the, and the Bible and the period of that time? There's more information out there that is just raw data from that time than any other person historically prior to Jesus or during the time of Jesus. I mean, you could just take a stack and say it's that high of stuff about Jesus and his closest competitor of, of, of written testimony about the historical veracity of the competing person, whether it's Aristotle or Plato or somebody like that, is like down here. And yet a lot of people say, I'll believe in those guys, but I don't believe in Jesus. And you're looking at that and saying, but there's so many people that do that have written about it. And I honestly think you can stack up proof all day long and still not believe. Because the scripture also tells us there are a group of people called the Pharisees who are watching all of this unfold, healings and miracles and raising of the dead. And guess what? They're like, nah, don't buy it. Nah, skeptical. I mean, I get my being skeptical of me making stuff up. But Jesus wasn't making anything up. He was saying stuff, and then he said, to validate what I'm saying, I'm doing it. And a lot of people said, he's the real deal. And the Pharisees were saying, nah, I want some proof. Rich and I were talking about this the other day, and I'm like, what kind of state of mind were they in that they could not see what was the very thing happening in front of them that should change their mind if anything would? 
you know, and, he, and Rich shared, it's the hardness of their hearts. It's their unwillingness. It's their, them putting their own selves first. And even deeper than that, they have an agenda. And what Jesus is doing doesn't fit their own plan. And I think sometimes that's where we get in trouble with Jesus because, well, we, uh, we want to do it our way. But if you're looking for proof, there's no shortage of it. But if you don't have the humility when you're approaching that proof, you're not going to see it. And finally, there's pain. I could only believe in God if he wouldn't allow pandemics, if he wouldn't allow starving to happen in other countries, if he wouldn't allow my loved one to be taken away with cancer. I mean, it gets pretty deep and pretty personal. And I don't have answers pastorally when I see our people go through those moments. And I just want to say, here's the thing that will fix it for you. And I can't offer that. But what I can offer is, is hopefully a vision that God is working through all this stuff. Even like John sitting there in prison, he just knows this isn't how it ends. Even if it ends in my life here, because Herod hates me, that isn't how it ends. And we have to put our trust in the fact that passages of Scripture that we find like Romans 8 where it talks about God working things together for good. Talks about neither height nor depth nor powers nor principalities nor anything can separate us from the love of God. But the one I love especially is a passage of scripture that talks about the end of the story that we're, we're, we're mentioning this morning. And it's the one from Revelation 21. And it says, um, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. That will be gone forever. Preach it, sister. Because if you don't have that tucked away in your head and you go through whatever you're going through that's painful, it's going to be a rough road. But if you lock that away and you keep it there, you know the road is bumpy, but it doesn't end here. That takes a little bit of faith to believe something that hasn't happened. But it takes, I think, eyes, hopefully that you have, to see with confidence the trustworthy character of God. Let me just kind of end it with places where unhealthy doubt come from. Because unhealthy doubt is something that, as a pastor, I have to guard against personally. And it is something that I see when our people fall away. It starts to take hold. And their own agenda starts to replace the agenda that God in his infinite wisdom and his infinite love and his infinite desire to bless says, this is your path, but don't lose heart. 
persevere because I'm with you. I'm going to enable you through this. You got to trust me. But then some of us stop trusting and we stop praying. Or we kind of flirt with things that we know aren't really good for us. And then we justify it. And then pretty soon our heart begins to, our heart begins to harden. And I honestly think that's where the Pharisees were. They loved their power. They had it. They cultivated it. They developed it. And Jesus was a threat. And they were justifying themselves. Yeah, Jesus is doing that, but. And you can just hear them say, yeah, he's a phony. He's a fake. He's not from God because he's not doing it the way that you should do it. Our way is the better way. But how many times have we said that? God, you're not doing it the way I think you should do it. But there's some of us who've been around the block so many times that we're like, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but if you trust him, you'll see he knows what he's up to. He's got a view of things that I don't have. I mean, one thing I love about drones now is that people do footage of what's happening around someplace, and you see, like, you know, maybe you'll see a car coming this way and a car coming that way, and you're like, oh, you know, they're going to crash. And, you know, God sees that, but they don't see that coming. And it's being able to see things from that omnipotent point of view, omniscient point of view, that says, God knows what he's doing. I need to trust him. I need to talk to him through prayer. I need to take those things that are displacing the Holy Spirit in my life and get rid of them and ask him to fill those spaces in my life instead. And I know some people will come to church because the church is bickering and fighting and gossiping, and they'll say, I'm, not in, I'm out. I'm not interested in that. And that's where we are party to really the failure of, of doing our part. So we got to be careful in this area. But at the end of the day, the questions that brought you in here, the questions that you test God with and God lets you test him with are the very questions that lead to a trust that he is trustworthy. He is faithful. He will help me. And as I read this passage of scripture, I would like to think, even if I'm on a, on a rock in the middle of the desert, I know God's with me. Even if I'm in the fiery furnace, I, knew, I know God's with me. And you can just go through a litany of, of, of biblical stories where, despite all circumstances, God is with his people and he is with you. And Jesus said all those things about John to simply say, I'm with John. And we're together on this. Are you together with him? And the way you know is by the fact that you are incorporated into his body. And we do that through confession of faith saying, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. We go into the waters of baptism, and we come out, we say, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and I believe that I can be made new through my own death and my own burial and my own resurrection 
in kind. And if you haven't gone on that journey, we really want to help you go down that path so that you can discover those eyes of faith that help you to see with trust and confidence. We need those eyes for the road ahead because the map is pretty blurry right now. And the place to start isn't a place at all but a person, and it's him. I'm just going to end this and ask God to speak to each of your hearts. And if he's saying, I want you to move forward on this, I'm here to help you, um, as well as um, elders that we have in the back, just let us know. Let's pray. Our Father, as we conclude this time and this portion of Luke, I know that your desire has been to allow Jesus to be showcased in the lives of your worship gatherers, in the lives of the people online. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we have been faithful in our depiction of your person. But even more than that, Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone in this room that eyes of doubt and questioning would begin to change into eyes of trust and seeing. Lord, I just ask that you speak to each of us here, wherever we are in relationship with you, and through your great love and compassion and caring, if there's any of us in the room that need to take a step closer into your presence, that you would just move in our hearts to do so. I just thank you, Lord, for being with our people this year and helping them to find confidence in so many things, but especially in you. And I ask these things in your name, Lord. for communion now if you'll bow and pray with me Heavenly Father we thank you for today's word we thank you for being the calm in the storm we thank you for telling us not to fear for you have a plan for us when we doubt when we drift when we when we feel the hardening of our heart, you are calm because you have the plan. Lord, at this time, we just ask that you, you bless these elements that we are about to take as we reflect, as we look to you, as we think of the love that you have for us. bless this to our body that we may reflect that love to those who doubt for those who fear for those whose hearts have grown hard that we are that light of yours and you are shown through us in your son's name we pray amen
stood before creation eternity in your hand you spoke the earth into motion my soul now to stand you stood before my failure
with us in our weaknesses, bearing with us, striving, admonishing, and building. I have a heart that seeks that. Thank you, Lord, for establishing that within your people. Thank you for your word. It's by your word that any of us have been adjusted today. And by your spirit and the working of your word in the heart of a recipient of your grace. 